And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Go, man. Tear it up, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. NFC Championship game is here. It's time to preview it. San Francisco 49ers against the Philadelphia Eagles. City of brotherly love. Lincoln Financial Field. It's going to be at noon Pacific time, Sunday, 3 p.m. local time. Matt and I will both be there. Matt, exciting game. The first time in a long time that the 49ers have been underdogs. About two and a half to three point underdogs in this game. But uh, I have a feeling that Vegas is saying this is a toss up. <laughs> We're just tossing out a couple points because Philly's the home team. But I don't think anybody knows how this is going to go. I, I see two teams stacked with talent, good offenses, good defenses, solid special teams units. This is worthy of a championship game, this matchup right now. And it's going to be a lot of fun to sit back and see what happens with our popcorn in hand on Sunday. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the two uh, top teams left standing in the NFC. Um, they're both, either one is going to be a worthy opponent for the uh, the AFC champion. And, um, you know, what, what's fascinating to me is that uh, the warm-up act, the, the divisional round games that these teams had were very different. Um, I think everybody watched uh, Philly just run roughshod over the Giants uh, on the Saturday, and there was all sorts of swagger, and you saw Nick Sirianni sort of strutting up and down the sideline. They're they're feeling it. They feel very confident right now. The 49ers got they got into a fist fight with with the Cowboys, and um, I felt like the Cowboys, and kind of still hearing it from the players this week, the Cowboys, uh, Dan Quinn, and especially that defense had a really good game plan for the 49ers. And the 49ers took their best shot right in the chin. Um, and, it, you know, it was, a, it was a good shot. They, they didn't go down, however. So, to me, the, the question is, um, you know, did Philadelphia benefit from a bit of a cakewalk in the divisional round? They're well-rested. They didn't really have to kind of uh, be strained in that game. Or are, are the 49ers better off having been tested um, having already kind of gotten into that sort of dogfight, that gritty style of win that you need to have in the playoffs, um, which 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 was the better warm up in your opinion, uh, sort of a, a one note Giants team or a very good Cowboys team? Well, I think the that Dallas team was complete, Matt. That Dallas team obviously had the defensive line that geared the 49ers up for the Philadelphia defensive line, right? Uh, you you have two – the two best pass rushing teams in football are the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, 1A and 1B. I'm not sure who's 1A and who's 1B because if you go by sack rate, it's Philadelphia. If you go by pressure rate, it's Dallas. The analytics people will tell you the pressures are more predictive of future sacks than, than sacks actually are. So uh, the 49ers got to face and sharpen their sword against – 
possibly the best pass rush in football ahead of a game against possibly the best pass rush in football. And the New York Giants aren't good. Uh, you know, they, the, 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 the elite teams remain. The, the actual contenders remain. The New York Giants, the Minnesota Vikings, they, they were not part of that group. They made the NFC playoffs, but they were not part of that group. So I think that the 49ers definitely uh, have the better preparation track record right now because they actually had to beat – uh, a legitimate contender. Dallas was one of those six to seven legitimate contenders. And again, the Giants, teams like the the Vikings, they weren't. Now, Philadelphia does have an advantage, though, as part of that whole thing, right? They're probably not as sharpened as the 49ers, but they definitely are more rested, right? Because they have an extra day since that game against uh, the New York Giants. They played on Saturday and the 49ers played on Sunday. They also had a bye before then, so they didn't have to play a wild card game. And they got to take their foot off the gas against the New York Giants because they went up 28 nothing. So Philadelphia has all the advantages that a number one seed typically has. But on the other side, number one seeds don't get the advantage of sharpening their sword as meticulously as a team that has to come from a little bit lower in the bracket. And the 49ers were the number two. And because of that, they did have to play the Cowboys. They didn't have a bye. And th- what they need to do is make sure they leverage their advantages, the fact that they have gotten to polish stuff up a little bit more than Philadelphia entering this game. Yeah, and, uh, it looked like Philadelphia had a walkthrough practice on Wednesday. So they're sort of uh, gradually getting into this week as well. They, they are definitely going to be well-rested for this game. I, I think that's... That's clear. But, uh, you know, what, what Kyle Shanahan was saying before the playoffs began is that, you know, he he doesn't like it when you sort of uh, ease your way into the playoffs. Uh, he, he feels like those teams often get bounced uh, too early because they're not battle tested. They're not playing at that level at that time. Uh, so uh, I think that's going to be sort of an interesting dynamic. I mean, going back to last season, the 49ers know how to go on the road, and they know how to play these these sort of gritty-style games. They did it one, two, three, Cowboys, Packers, Rams. Obviously, they didn't beat the Rams um, in, in the championship game last year, but uh, they're used to playing that type of game. Um, uh, it, it, nothing's going to take them by surprise. So I, I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, I, I agree with you. These are the two best uh, defenses, two best defensive lines that the 49ers have gone against all season. I was talking to Daniel Brunskill and, and Jake Brendel and uh, the offensive lineman yesterday, uh, Wednesday, and uh, you know uh, they all agreed that uh, the Cowboys uh, were a good warm-up act, but uh, that they're different defenses. Like this is the the very typical Vic Fangio defense. In fa- fact, I think Vic Fangio consults for the for the Eagles this year. So that's been a defense that's given. You know, a lot of offenses fits this year, including the 49ers. Uh, that uh, that Broncos defense in, in week two was uh, that style. The, the Rams are that style. The Chargers are that style. The Seahawks even use a little bit of that style. It, it's designed to take away big, uh, you know, chunk plays to make uh, an offense matriculate the ball down the field very kind of piecemeal. Um, and uh, they play five-man fronts. And so, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a double-edged sword. It takes away some of the 49ers' strengths. But it's also, David, a, a, a defense that the 49ers have played a lot this year. 
And it feels like they've gotten a little bit better against it every time they've faced it. Now, obviously, the 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 individual talent goes a long way to how well that that unit operates. But from a from a, a schematic, from a strategic standpoint, uh, I feel like the 49ers have a really good idea of what can work against them. So I feel like the game plan is going to be very strong in this one. Well, the 49ers have to be balanced when when, when we talk about uh, w- what they can do offensively, right? So I think both sides of the football for the 49ers, we talk about adaptability. And you know, this is something that stood out to me in the game against Dallas. And obviously it stood out to us for the entire season. And as, as we've monitored this roster building process from John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers have tremendously adaptable players on both sides of the football. And that's why they're there in the position that they're in. And those are the players that we need to keep a closer eye on in this game. And I'm going to go both sides of the ball. Trent Williams on offense last week, the way that he at what 320 plus pounds showed the foot quickness to block Micah Parsons, who's the, who's the most athletic defensive lineman in football. I mean, the highlight reels are out there. That was phenomenal. A man sh- at 320 pounds should not be able to move as quickly as Trent Williams, but the 49ers have it. By extension, George Kittle, 250 pounds. He shouldn't be able to beat cornerbacks in man coverage, when, especially when he's that good and that physical of a run blocker. But there he was against the Cowboys beating Deron Bland downfield and then obviously catching the big bobble pass, just narrowly avoiding the uh, big-time hit there from Trayvon Diggs. Fred Warner trailing and blanketing. I don't want to say trailing too loud because he, he was blanketing. He, he was right with a wide receiver, CeeDee Lamb. Is there another linebacker in the league right now that can blanket a wide receiver 30 to 35 yards downfield? A number one wide out, a 1,300-yard wide out. Is there another 240-pound linebacker in the league that can do that against a guy that's about 50 pounds lighter than him? I don't think so. So uh, those are just three examples, Matt, but the 49ers have built this adaptability throughout their entire team, especially at the star positions. And they've got a lot of stars and I haven't even gotten to Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. That's obvious adaptability, but they have it on offense. They have it on defense. And that's why I think the 49ers are confident in in any matchup that they see. And that's why I think, you know, Philadelphia, those guys are really, really good. That's why I think though, this game's a toss up Philly with hurts this year, Jalen hurts, their starting quarterback. They're 15 and one only loss has been to Washington. So these guys are a juggernaut. There's no way around it, but so are the 49ers 12 straight wins. And I just explained how the 49ers have gotten to the position of not having lost in three months. It's because of that adaptability and that adaptability is what gives them confidence heading into the belly of the beast in Philadelphia on Sunday. They've been really good in the second half and I think that kind of shows you that adaptability because uh, Trent Williams explained it to me after the game after the Cowboys game is that they you know they they spend the first half a lot of time I want to say experimenting isn't the right word but they, they need to know how a defense is is handling their their play calls. And Kyle Shanahan is using the first half to see that. And when he sees it, he always has a good answer. So it's both offense and defense that are doing the same thing. Both of those units have been really lights out in the second half, especially this year. <laughs> they were trailing the Seahawks in, uh, in the first uh, uh, playoff game by, by a point going into the half. 
so um, I, I think that's something that, that people ought to keep in mind for their own sanity. <laughs> the second half could look a lot different than the first half, uh, and uh, it, it usually has for the 49ers. I, I just wanted to comment on uh, your, your Fred Warner observation. I thought that play was an absolute huge play, not just because of, of uh, what Warner was able to do, but because the matchup there is, is one, and you can't fault Dak Prescott for this. I mean, you see your number one receiver against a middle linebacker, a big middle linebacker. That's where you're going with the ball. There's no doubt about it. So it was the correct read for him. But in doing that, Prescott missed a wide open T.Y. Hilton on that play. Um, uh, C.D. Lamb was lined up in, uh, we'll call it the, the right-hand slot on that, on that play. And T.Y. Hilton was in the left-hand spot, uh, slot. They're both going streaking down the field. Nobody picked up Hilton. He was wide open. That was a, uh, that was a TD if he had thrown to, uh, to Hilton. But, of course, Prescott threw it to C.D. Lamb instead, and, and it was an incompletion. But if you watch T.Y. Hilton's body language on that play, he realizes that uh, you know he had a, 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 an explosive touchdown. But it just kind of goes to show you that uh, what seems like a, a layup uh, in, in most games for offenses is, is anything but when uh, Fred Warner is in coverage. Watching Warner over the years, Matt, has been so fascinating because I still remember when he was a rookie in 2018. And that was still at the start of that season. The 49ers still had Reuben Foster, right? But uh, Warner got the radio in his helmet that year, and you could tell that the plans for at least the communicator, the centerpiece of that defense, their future plans, they wanted Fred Warner to, to take that torch, handle that responsibility. Navarro Bowman uh, had been that player for, for several years prior to that moment. But, you know, we talked about Warner as a guy who played this glorified linebacker position at BYU. They called it the star. Uh, he would line up in the slot. He would, he would cover slot receivers. He would do a lot of uh, DB-like stuff. Uh, but we weren't sure if that would be able to, to translate into the NFL. And even if it did translate, we said, oh, okay, maybe he'll cover the occasional tight end or running back coming out of the backfield. That'll be impressive enough. But to cover C.D. Lamb, a 1300 plus yard guy, uh, that's that's different next level stuff. And you, know, you talk about the T.Y. Hilton situation. That's a great example of pass rush fueling coverage. And the 49ers only had one sack against the Cowboys, but the pass rush was effective. And that that's what's so important. I thought there was a stretch of the game there early in the second half where the pass rush wasn't as effective as it needed to be, but they quickly rediscovered the kind of pocket constriction that is necessary to force quarterbacks to unload to an earlier read. They, they don't have time to make the progression to somebody like T.Y. Hilton on that play. So Prescott saw a matchup that he thought he'd win. You can't really blame Dak Prescott for thinking that C.D. Lamb is going to get a step on Fred Warner, right? He, he was wrong, but, but yeah, I mean, if I'm Dak Prescott, I'd probably think the same thing in, in the pocket on that play. But um, if you aren't getting any heat on the quarterback, if that pocket isn't pushing in toward Dak Prescott, he has a lot more time to sit back, evaluate the situation, and say, hey, oh, wait, T.Y. Hilton, wide open. Why don't we go there instead? And the 49ers just didn't let that happen at the crucial moments of this game against the Cowboys. And now we spin it forward to Philadelphia, and the Eagles have the number two offensive line in all football. Every single lineman 
except for Jordan Mailata, the left tackle, the former rugby player, uh, ranks in top seven of pass blocking efficiency. Mailata, those 41 out of 56 tackles in football. And that tells me that opposing edge rushers, the best guys are lining up over left tackle because they want to avoid Lane Johnson, the all pro on the right side. Uh, but even then, Matt, the, for comparison, Mike McGlinchey's top half tackle in, in, in pass blocking this year, the only below average tackle starting in this game between both teams is Jordan Mailata at left tackle. And, you know, this all ties together. If the 49ers want to execute the coverage plays that they executed against the Cowboys, they're going to have to put up some pressure. And I'm wondering, do they put Nick Bosa in there and work exclusively against left tackle, or are we going to see some Bosa on both sides against Mailata and Lane Johnson? You know, the, the 49ers didn't get very many sacks um, uh, on, on Sunday, but uh, there were so many instances where they moved Dak Prescott off his mark. Um, I, I wonder if there's a uh, advanced stat for that, but, I mean, I, I think that that really— There is. Really, uh, <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I mean, for somebody like Prescott who throws a lot of picks, that that's a big deal. Uh, he's not getting his feet set. He's— um, I don't want to say panicking, but like, like you said, he's not being able to go through his reads correctly. Um, his his uh, mental clock is being sped up. I don't know if Jalen Hurts has that issue. So that's that to me is a is a big question. The 49ers absolutely have um, seized on uh, takeaways this year. Uh, they uh, they had the best uh, turnover differential. They had more. Uh, uh, interceptions than any team but the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Dak Press, I mean, uh, Jalen Hurts just hasn't thrown a lot of them this year. Uh, he's been very good in that. And, and I realize that some of it is, is kind of one-read stuff, and then he'll take off with his feet, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that's, that's sort of my question is where the, the takeaways that uh, the 49ers have subsisted on during the 2022 season are going to come from in this game um, you know, th- this is uh, this is a, a, a game where they could use a Talano Hufanga uh, forced fumble, uh, uh, a Dre Greenlaw forced fumble, a, 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 a Fred Warner tip, uh, deflected interception. Those types of plays are going to be are always huge. They're going to be paramount, I think, in this game. The the, the team that uh, can get the, the I think there'll probably be one takeaway in this game. The team that can get that one takeaway probably is going to win the game. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, the 49ers led the league in turnover differential this year and they also, uh, I, I should say lead the league because the season's still going on, but they did in the regular season, they do now. Number one in turnover differential, number one in interceptions. They had two more against Prescott, that's 22 picks on the year. And that's a huge storyline to me because the the 49ers literally set a record for the fewest picks in history uh, in 2018. And and even with their really good defenses that we saw in 2019 and 2021, they're a bit short on the interceptions. They're a bit short on the takeaways. That's changed this year. And uh, I think it's absolutely part of the team's formula. It's the most closely correlated statistic to winning besides uh, obviously points scored and points against but that's that's the scoreboard that's that's not really even a stat so you 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 look at turnovers turnover margin the 49ers have been excellent there and yes this is a game where it's going to be necessary remember the game against the packers last year where the 49ers were underdogs on the road divisional playoffs green bay was rolling early in that game and it turned around when fred warner forced a fumble against the tight end so Takeaways have this outsized impact because they 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 change game flow. They really do, and and they could make the opposing team tentative. They give your own sideline energy. They are lightning rods, and the 49ers have gotten many lightning rods this year. And conversely, they've avoided negative lightning rods. Brock Purdy has done a good job taking care of the ball. Remember, we were talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. He had his lowest ever interception rate uh, th- this season, and that especially started happening after they picked up Christian McCaffrey. And it's because you know the 49ers have found their groove offensively with the spacing to where they're not forcing the football anymore. And that's something that needs to be talked about right now because Brock Purdy is entering a hostile environment, and he's going to have to keep on caring for the football. He did get away with a pick against Dallas. It was tipped at the line, but then it was dropped in the in the defensive backfield. But Matt, in this this game, I mean, Brock Purdy, he's the highest rated rookie quarterback ever with 200 or more uh, pass attempts, 108 rating, and he has a chance to become the first rookie to ever start a Super Bowl. But he's still 60 minutes away from doing that against a really good Philadelphia team that's probably going to put some real heat on him based on those 70-plus sacks. So, uh, I mean, he's going to have to make great decisions in this game. So far, the 49ers have every reason to believe that that he can make those good decisions, right? But every single game has its own story, and that's going to be a big, big challenge for Purdy, the rookie, in this NFC Championship. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Kyle Shanahan sort of uh, protects Purdy in this game because to this point, most of the most of the opponents that have played the, the 49ers have decided, okay, Who's going to beat us? Is it going to be the seventh round sort of short, uh, you know, uh, middling arm quarterback, or is it going to be their running game? And they've decided on the latter, and they've stuffed the box full of defenders, and they've tried to take away the running game, and uh, asked uh, or uh, uh, 
said uh, that uh, if we're going to lose this game, it's going to be Brock Purdy beating us deep. And, and most of the time, Purdy has done exactly that. Um, but uh, with this pass rush, um, I don't know if he's going to have the time for those types of plays. So um, are we going to see lots of screens? Are we going to see lots of uh, Debo Samuel stuff, lots of quick passes? Uh, that's that's my thought. I mean, how do you uh, kind of take uh, the bite out of a ferocious pass rush as you uh, use their aggression against them in some way, shape, or form? And the 49ers absolutely have the the personnel to do that. Um, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. Uh, these are all guys that could sort of make a defense pay for that type of pass rush. But, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, why, uh, that's why it's going to be interesting. I don't know exactly how they're going to do it. Uh, the Eagles don't have to blitz to get that pass rush, so they don't necessarily have to bring the house at Brock Purdy. Uh, I just don't know whether that deep passing game, the deep crosses, uh, you know, those deep rollouts that the 49ers have used to kind of buy Purdy time. Um, I don't know if those are going to work as well against the Eagles as they have uh, the previous opponents. Well, yeah, I mean, the Eagles are really good defensively. Uh, Any good defense is going to be able to obviously take away some of the stuff that's slower developing because of of its pass rush, and that Philadelphia certainly falls into that category. I'm just going to keep on going back to the balance card. The 49ers, you know, a lot of people try to pigeonhole the 49ers into, oh, this is a running team. Oh, to, oh now Shanahan's passing to set up the run. Yeah, yes, with it, within a microscope, he's either running to set up the pass or passing to set up the run, but it is all part of a larger plan, like you mentioned with your conversation with Trent Williams, setting stuff up over the first 30 minutes to be able to attack down the stretch. And that larger plan is one of balance. You have to have the threat to pass or the threat to run at any given time because these defenses will compensate and overcompensate, and then you have to adjust and attack against wherever the potential weakness might be, depending on the defensive strategy. And that's why Christian McCaffrey was a tailor-made fit into this offense, because he could receive and he could run the football. That's why George Kittle's perfect, because he could run block or he could beat a cornerback on a, a, a pass pattern. Debo Samuel, interchangeable with Christian McCaffrey. I could go down the list of how adaptable these 49ers players are, but that adaptability is going to be so fully necessary in this game. And Kyle Shanahan is going to have to leverage that adaptability. The Eagles don't know if Kyle Shanahan calls this game right and Brock Purdy manages it correctly. The Eagles don't know if George Kittle's going to run block or go out on a pass pattern. They don't know if McCaffrey or Debo Samuel is going to be the one getting the handoff or the one running the pass pattern. And it's up to Shanahan to move those chess pieces around in a way that keeps a really good defense on its heels in this game. Because ultimately, we the, the one weakness that Philadelphia does have is the run defense. They've gotten better since they signed Linval Joseph and Ndamukong and Sue, but are still ranked DVOA right in the middle of the pack, 15 or 16. They're 21 on the season. Everything else is top five for both of these teams. But run defense for Philadelphia is that one leakier component. But it's not as simple as just plowing your way into a brick wall because Philly's going to try to stop that, as you said, Matt. It's about having the balance that forces Philly to think about the pass to open up the run, and then you could pummel that soft spot of the Eagles' defense. So the key for the 49ers is balance and evenness because the goal for them is to play this game on their terms, and on their terms means that they are punching Philadelphia where it hurts, and that is the run defense. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, that's going to be the key to this game. I mean, the Cowboys played the 49ers as well as any team could. I mean, this is this is Dan Quinn, a guy that knows Kyle Shanahan better than any defensive coordinator in the league. Uh, he had a really good plan. The linebackers were playing really well. They were they were shelling out for those outside zone runs. 49ers couldn't get anything going in the first half. Um, you know, the, the defensive ends were great. I mean, Micah Parsons was making plays on the backside that, that are just ridiculous, that the 49ers don't have to worry about that guy um, usually on their outside uh, zone runs. I mean, they don't even block that player because there's no way that they can kind of catch up to the play. The, the Cowboys were. They were uh, so perfectly matched and so perfectly prepared for the 49ers, and yet the 49ers still figured out how to how to beat them. Um, and they did, they just started doing the the inside zone runs and the gap scheme runs in the in the second half. And they weren't gaudy runs. There weren't any you know 65 yarders, but there were enough four, seven, three, five uh, that they took control of the game in the second half. So. My point is that if the 49ers could find a way against Dan Quinn and the Cowboys, who were fired up for this game, they're going to avenge last season's exit, um, then uh, I, I feel confident that eventually they can do the same thing against Philadelphia. Now, the question is whether they can do it quickly enough to you know make sure that Philadelphia doesn't pull away in the game because the Philadelphia offense is better than the Cowboys offense. The Philadelphia quarterback is better than the Cowboys quarterback. I think that's that's the main uh, worry for 49ers and their fans is that uh, Jalen Hurts is having an, an, an MVP-like season. Dak Prescott wasn't. Dak Prescott, you knew if you kind of rattled him, he's going to give you some. I don't I don't know if, you, uh, if you're that confident with Jalen Hurts. Anything... That Jalen Hurts gives you, wow, that is a bonus. You shouldn't expect it because uh, that's how good he's been this season. Yeah, I think what, what you you tweeted the other day, right? One right around a percent the interception rate, one point two, one point three, one point three, yeah, yeah, one point three, which is excellent. Um, the the league average is about two point one percent. So you're you're an average quarterback if you're just around that two mark. And anybody who's in the ones, uh, they're they're playing some serious lights out. Uh, turnover free football. So Jalen Hurts is is playing like that this year. Dak Prescott was at three point eight percent. He was atrocious Oof. this year. Yeah, and it was weird because Dak had always been a guy between one point three and one point seven. He he had always been a uh, uh, below average interception rate, and, and so that's a that's a good thing, right? For a QB this year, it just spiked, and uh, nobody was really able to to figure out why. And then then people thought, okay, he's finally figured it out against Tampa Bay. Um, you know, 25 of 33, no picks, but revert it right back uh, to to the regular season self against the 49ers. So, what you know, obviously avoiding interceptions, playing a controlled brand of aggressive football is really important. Uh, one thing about Hurts, you know, the 49ers played Philadelphia in week two of last season. They won 17 to 11. It was a bar fight. Um, it was a game where the 49ers won on both lines of scrimmage. It wasn't easy to win on both lines of scrimmage, but they ultimately won that type of arm wrestling match. Since then, both teams have gotten better. Philadelphia has gotten better, I think, to a greater degree than the 49ers. They picked up A.J. Brown, uh, the star receiver who the 49ers struggled to stop with the Tennessee Titans last year on all those third and long. So 
whereas the Cowboys had one true bona fide number one wideout uh, in CD Lamb, I think you have two two of those guys with with Philadelphia and AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. They also have a tight end, Dallas Goddard, who could who could get the job done. Philadelphia is number one in 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 run DVOA this year in large part because Jalen Hurts can take off out of the pocket. Uh, he rushed for 82 yards on 10 carries against the 49ers last year. And then Miles Sanders is is an effective player as well. And we haven't even gotten the guys like Quez Watkins who had a 91-yard catch against the Amador Lenore, ran down by uh, Jaquaski Tart in week two of last season. So there's weapons everywhere and the line is good as well number two line and pass blocking efficiency. It is, this is like the final boss. And it, uh, the final boss is Mahomes and the Chiefs. We know that in the, in the Super Bowl, if the 49ers get that far, and if the Chiefs get that far, uh, Burrow and the Bengals looking pretty good too. But as far as the NFC play goes, Matt, this is this is the final boss. You're in the video game. You keep on advancing up a level, but you look at the Philly offense and the adaptability hurts and his rushing yardage. Uh, this is one that's going to take a complete 49ers effort to prevail from that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that Quez Watkins play last year because that's been the type of play that the 49ers seem to uh, give up once a game uh, the last four games. I mean, uh, Devontae Adams, A.J. Green, uh, D.K. Metcalf, and then CeeDee Lamb. Um, uh, and uh, usually it's D'Amador Lenore who's on the, uh, on, the, on the losing end of those. So um, he's got to step up. He certainly did. At times, uh, more times than not, we should say, against the Cowboys, uh, it was just the just the one deep ball to uh, to C.D. Lamb that he gave up, and I think the 49ers ended up forcing a punt on that series, so it didn't didn't hurt them uh, on the scoreboard. But uh, you know, I I have to imagine that the the Eagles are are watching these last few games of the 49ers and thinking, okay, we got some opportunities for some shots there. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, what, 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 uh, strikes me about the week two game last year, that was the game that the 49ers lost just about every running back on their roster, uh, between that game and the, and the opener in, uh, in, uh, in Detroit. So, uh, they, they had some things, uh, going against them in that game, but it was the sort of same, the sort of gritty game, win it by any means necessary game. That they played Sunday against uh, against the Cowboys, so it kind of brings us back to our uh, original point: is that the 49ers are already sort of well versed in in what it's going to take to win this game. I think that's got to be a slight advantage for them heading into the contest. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, we could talk the numbers all day, and the numbers are significant because they indicate where the the fracture points are, where the weak points are. But also when the numbers are relatively even across the board where you could you know talk yourself into either of these two teams winning that means that uh winning at the key junctures is is probably what's going to determine this game that's why we love to talk about turnovers because those usually end up being key junctures of a football game but you got to talk about red zone too who's going to execute inside the five yard line who's going to make sure they come away with trips inside the 20 with seven instead of just three points i mean that all you know all that stuff typically uh is is a heavy heavy determinant of uh who wins these football games matt why, why don't we why don't we talk about it right now why don't we go into predictions dennis isn't here to 
today, so uh, we don't have to worry about him uh, scowling uh, that, that we want to talk about predictions. But it's the, it, I don't know if we can leave an NFC Championship game podcast without predicting what's going to happen. And guess what? I haven't made my prediction yet, so I'm going to be like kind of talking through it. Have you made yours? Or? You know, I've, uh, I've thought about it, and I, I vacillate. I go from, from one to the other. Um, you know, uh, I guess I'll start out. I mean, like what, uh, what, what, you know, the, the, the Eagles big advantage is, is their quarterback. And I just, uh, keep seeing visions of, uh, Jalen Hurts at a critical juncture, you know, fourth down or third and 17. And the 49ers feel like, uh, they've got the Eagles on, on the ropes. And then Jalen Hurts escapes the pocket and uh, picks up a first down or a touchdown. I, I, I think that's going to happen in this game. And the question is, can the 49ers absorb that kind of body blow and still win? Um, I can't pick against a team that's on a 12-game winning streak like the 49ers are. Uh, it's just uh, impossible for me to do. So I do think that they pull it out. I think that they draw on their recent experience um, I think that they draw on the grit that they they had in uh, in the playoffs last year. Debo Samuel had a had a big game in week two. He was the only sort of offensive standout in that week two game against the the Eagles last year. I think it's going to be a Debo Samuel type of game. I think he's ready for it. Uh, I just remember him being the last guy to leave the field in the NFC Championship game last year in LA. Debo Samuel has a a will of ten men. And I think it's going to be that sort of will that uh, gets them over the uh, the hump and uh, puts them into the Super Bowl. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, and it you know kind of ties into what I was saying earlier. Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey are essentially interchangeable pieces in Shanahan's offense. They have different styles, but they're both receivers and running backs. And Philadelphia has struggled in two spots defensively. They they've been really really good. Let me start by this. With this, they've been really, really good against number one and number two receivers uh, and decently good against tight ends. But they have a bad efficiency mark, number 22 DVOA against number three and number four receivers, and number 24 DVOA pass defense against running backs coming out of the backfield. And I think that Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey both qualify as running backs coming out of the backfield because their threat to run um, puts them into m- matchup advantages that fall under that umbrella of a defense having to cover somebody coming out of the backfield, even if they're not necessarily lined up back there. The Shanahan is able to leverage and create the kind of mismatches that I think can put Philly into a bind. So we saw it with Debo Samuel last year. He had a great game against the Eagles, and I think that you know the numbers show us that this is going to be a Samuel and McCaffrey kind of game to flourish with the Eagles ranking number 24 against, you know, that specific skill set coming out of the backfield. And then on top of that, you know, I'll remind you after Debo had that big game to get the 49ers going near the end of the first half, it was Jawan Jennings who scored the touchdown. And that was his first career touchdown. Didn't George Kittle get him the football? Oh, yeah. The, the ball sort of uh, escaped and uh, was was hiding in some uh, electrical wires, I think. Yeah. There you go. So, And guess who Jawan Jennings is? He's the number three wideout. And I just read the stat, Philly's in the bottom third of the league against number three wideouts. So I see this as a uh, Swiss Army knife game, the the, the McCaffrey-Samuel Swiss Army knife, plus a dose of Jennings. That's what happened in week two last year. I know the teams have evolved. 
But I think that the numbers indicate that Philadelphia, and it makes sense because the Eagles, right? The, the Eagles have a great pass rush. The corners between between Slay and Bradbury can really get after the football. You like their corners, but it's the linebacking position that that is that is weaker for Philadelphia, and that's where it's really strong for the 49ers. And it makes sense that Philadelphia would struggle against the specific weapons that, that I just noted because of um, because the linebackers is the worst part of their defense. So anyway, it, I, to me, it, it's that kind of game. That means it's a Shanahan game for the 49ers. He's got to take advantage of the potential soft spots of this Philly team and obviously set it up to run because that's where they've been their very worst defensively. And because of that, because it's the playoffs, it might be a little bit wet in Philadelphia. I, I think the 49ers have been here before and the Eagles haven't. This is the third NFC Championship game in four seasons for the 49ers, and I do think that they find a way to edge this game out. I think the heart-rending run of last season really helps the 49ers in that regard, and I think that they might have a rest disadvantage here, but they have an experience advantage, and they have also been able to sharpen their sword more effectively than Philadelphia. So my score, I'm going to say 28-27. to I know it's an iconic NFC title score in, in 49ers history. What about you, Matt? I know you said you think the 49ers are going to win. Do you have a score in mind? Yeah, um, and, I, and I love the uh, idea of Debo Samuel and Juwan Jennings, a couple of uh, brawler type of guys uh, being the difference in uh, a, a blue-collar town like Philadelphia. Uh, I'm going to go ugly score game. I'm going to go 25-23 49ers. 25-23 49ers. Yeah, we, we had an ugly score game last yeah, week. Yeah, 1912. It doesn't get any uglier than 1912. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we have to head out to, to cover this team. So that's it for the podcast for Dennis Brown. Not here today. We'll say hello to him. Uh, but anyway, officially for Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you next time on Here's the Catch. And next time is after the NFC title game. So buckle up. It's about to get really fun. Hey, hey. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.